One of my partners, his name is Pete Cook. He's the connector. He's the guy who works the room. He's the guy who brings all the deals to the table. So we have three facets of our business. So I'm going to give you three tools. The connector, that's him. The executor, that's me. I'm the one who makes stuff happen. I'm the one who decides what deals we're going to pursue and what we're not. And then the backbone. The backbone is actually my wife. She runs the books and records. She makes sure everything is in line so that way Pete and myself can go do what we need to do. So connector, executor, backbone. Those are the three tools every small business or venture needs to succeed. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, as you know, it's my job to explore, dissect, and interview the cream of the crop when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship here in the United States so you can all make the right investing decisions to create, one, massive amounts of cash flow, but two, which will lead to financial freedom and long-term wealth. As you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. But you have to remember, knowledge without action means you're just a fence sitter. So be educated first and foremost, listen to my, my podcast each and every week, but also you've got to go out and take massive amounts of action, and hopefully today's cracking guest will inspire you to do so. If you do like this show, you can please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching Reed Goosens. You can also find this show wherever you podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. But you can also find these shows up on my YouTube channel. Head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the podcast, uh, sorry, click on the video link, and it'll take you straight to the recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Len Giancola. Len has over 25 years experience in executive management and small business ownership. Formerly, Len was a managing director of Global Securities Finance in New York, responsible for a $16 billion trading portfolio. He is now the owner and president of over 20 corporations. With over $100 million in sales over the last decade, including a successful custom home building company, vacation rental portfolio management company, and a diversified investment portfolio, Len has also, with his teenage daughters, recently launched an online educational video series through their Success Beach platform called Family Financial Freedom. Incredible experience and background, and we're going to find out a lot more about the man himself. So let's get him out here. G'day, Len. Welcome to the show. Hey, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Mate, absolute pleasure having you on. I've been really looking forward to doing something to do with the vacation rentals. I've heard a lot of buzz around it. But um, before we dive into today's show, let's rewind the clock a little bit. Let's go back, way, way back to when you first, when you made your first ever dollar. My first ever dollar, you know, I don't know if the, I believe I was a stock boy in like a, um, it was called Savon Pharmacy, which is like a Walgreens or CVS now. Mm -hmm. And I was just a stock boy and then graduated to become the almighty cashier. <laughs> and uh, and then my first summer job was actually doing landscaping. My uncle owned a landscaping company, 
and I just saw that it was an all-cash business. So I was just mowing lawns and kind of learning how he did the business a little bit for a couple of months. And that, that, that always stuck in the back of my mind that he was keeping that money for himself. So as I went through my, you know, corporate life, I always, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it. I always thought about, wouldn't it be great to just have all that money for yourself instead of making it for somebody else? Sure, sure. Uh, I love talking to entrepreneurs who, who started essentially on the tools, right? Like the, the hard sweat, slogging it out in the summer. I remember uh, tying rebar for building pools in one summer in Australia. And I just thought, I'm so glad I'm at university. You know, like I, could, I don't think I could ever be a, a laborer for, for the rest of my life. So, so awesome stuff. Mate, walk us through your, your, your journey, obviously from, from landscaper and, and, and cashier to how you got your, where'd you go to school? Uh, how'd you get involved in, you know, I guess it was Wall Street um, with, um, with a successful company in New York and then slowly progress into the real estate side of it uh, over time. Sure. So basically I had a, you know, traditional upbringing, you know, go to school, get good grades, get a corporate job. Luckily, my father was successful on Wall Street and um, he got my foot in the door for my first job. But I did go. I grew up in Staten Island, New York and went to Monsignor Farrell High School, which was a very well-renowned high school in New York City. And then I went to St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia for two years had a little too much fun and went to St. John's University in New York and graduated. So I had a bachelor's degree in finance. And my dad got my foot in the door for my first job on Wall Street. Um, and that was in securities lending. Securities lending is an avenue of the finance industry where we facilitate short sell, short sales for hedge funds. So basically when, um, not to get into all the details, but when a hedge fund has to do has to execute a short sale, they need to get approval on borrowing that security. And our desk was the one who specialized in hard to borrows, um, hard, how to find and locate and secure hard to borrow securities so they can actually execute the short sales. So remember, hedge funds can go long or short. Mutual funds are just long. So when most people just invest in a mutual fund, they're just purchasing stocks. Hedge funds can play both sides of the market, and that's how they make so much money because they can make money on the way up or the way down. Interesting. Interesting. And so you now, I know for everyone who doesn't know, I know that you're calling in from Florida. So how did you make that transition out of Wall Street? And, and now you, you're, you're the owner and president of over 20 corporations, which sounds incredible. Talk a little bit more about that. Sure. So I, I basically got my foot in the door, like I said, on Wall Street, and then it was up to me. And I became a little rising star. So over 12 years, I rose through the ranks rather quickly. I became the youngest managing director director in the Americas for my brokerage firm. Um, at the age of you know 30 uh, through 33, I was making seven figures a year. But there was something inside me that said, "Hey, if they're paying me this much, how much are they making?" You know, my desk was netting 34, 35 million dollars a year of profit netting. And, you know, I had a million dollar expense account for my desk. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. But in my gut, I felt like there, there was something more. I didn't want to work till I was 65 on a trading desk or get burnt out by 40 or start doing drugs or just getting into bad habits. I never smoked. I never did a drug in my life. Still haven't. And I knew there was something more. So I'm like, why not go figure something out where I can actually keep the money that I'm making? You know what I mean? For somebody else. Why not make it for my family? So after going through 9-11, unfortunately, and all that stuff firsthand, you know, I started to really evaluate what's important in life. And my wife and I decided to 
prepare an exit plan, basically, that in a couple of years, we were going to save enough money, we were blessed making good money, and we were going to go do something different. Instead of retiring at 65, I retired at 33. And we came down to Florida with our two young daughters and basically took three years off, enjoyed our family, and planned what the next chapter of our life was going to be, and that was going to be being an entrepreneur and investor. So over the next few years, we formulated a plan and we created a category. We were the only company in the state of Florida that had retail real estate, vacation rentals and property management, and custom home building under one roof. I owned all those companies. And those companies became a revolving door of leads. So somebody would come into the real estate company, maybe buy a plot of land. We would build a house for them. And then they would, they would put it back in our property management or rental program because it was a second home area here in Florida. It's a vacation area and a destination. So they would put it back in our program. So think about the revolving door. So we kind of created our own category and I call it the revolving door theory basically. And, uh, and it became very lucrative for us over the years. Um, I built homes. I built probably about 75 high-end upscale homes on the ocean in Northeast Florida um, over the last several years. I retired from that or shut it down voluntarily about a year and a half ago. Still own the vacation rental company, which is going super strong. We've grown over 30% a year for seven years. And uh, the retail real estate, I sold that to my partner a few years ago. So it, they're all, you know, they, they're all still going just with other operators right now. But um, I only own the vacation rental company out of those three right now. It's an incredible story to just to rewind back to where you were on, in, in, in Wall Street to realize that you could be burnt out by the time you're 40, right? A lot of people are just, you know, just balls to the water, hustling, 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 hustling. And then they just realize one day that this can't be what we're going to be doing till I'm 65. I'm going to burn out and, you know, just have a mental breakdown. So. Good on you for, 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 for recognizing that and then shifting your mindset to moving down to Florida. Having family, you know, three years off with your family must have been incredible, particularly with, with young kids uh, and, and, you know, getting yourself set up. And then, you know, I think, uh, a, you know, a man, a self-made uh, man like yourself in, in, you know, going through and in creating um, uh, some incredible ecosystems. So let's dive a little bit more into those nuts and bolts of those ecosystems because my, my mind's going at a million miles an hour. I love this sort of stuff where you start one company and then it complements it with another company and then all of a sudden you have this very cool umbrella of different, as you said, revolving doors. So let's maybe talk about a little bit of the vacation rental space. And, and a lot of people have been talking about it recently and I've heard a lot of it on different podcasts and video, you know, different channels of what I listen to. So just in a nutshell, can you break it down for those people who may not understand what a vacation rental is? And, and do you own it or does someone else own it and you manage it or is it all, all, all of the above? Right. Well, I do both. So I own several. I'm actually building five more right now and I manage over 80. Um, they're all in Northeast Florida right now because if I can give anyone a tip that's trying to get into vacation rentals and I, I have a product basically where someone hires me and I give them soup to nuts step-by-step step on how to create your own vacation rental company, everything you need. But um, anyway, if I can give them a tip, it is target a niche that is a 12-month-per-year destination. Because a lot of people try to just get, you know, I'm going to go get a condo at a ski lodge or uh, I'm going to get something, you know, in a city. But a lot of times the weather plays a factor in the time people want to go vacation there. So a vacation rental is usually somebody's second home or just an investment home 
It's not Airbnb where you rent out a room. It is a vacant property, whether it's a condo or a house. And I like to target Florida because Northeast Florida, because I know that it's a 12 month a year, 24 seven, 365 vacation destination. So my earning ability is not limited just to a few months a year. It's literally every day of the year I can have a potential inquiry or guest. And I think that that's a nice way to um, insulate yourself from, you know, market downturns, weather downturns, whatever you want to call it, um, anything, in the, you know, anything in the market. So you can actually insulate yourself because you have all year to make it create income. Interesting. And, and I take it that the I think that's really, really good advice because you know, the average person thinks of like a timeshare, right? And they think it's at a ski resort and it's, you know, on, a, on an island. But I think it's very, very key that you said it's a 12-month-a-year destination. I take it that affects your vacancy rates because it is 12 months worth of potential income earning, correct? That is correct. And don't get me wrong. There are obviously peak parts of the year and slower parts of the year. Sure. Um, but in Florida, or in Northeast Florida at least, you know, January through – I'll just go through the year real quick. Yep. January through March – is basically snowbirds. So we'll get a bunch of people from Canada that'll come down. And the funny thing about that is they all drive. It's amazing. Nobody flies. They all drive down and they'll stay for a month, two months, three months. Also down where we are, we have the Daytona 500 is in February every year. That's a huge week. Then we have spring break in March. And depending on where Easter falls, those two weeks of Easter break are always sold out with a waiting list. Between wherever Easter falls and Memorial Day is a little slower, so we'll drop rates and make offer some specials to repeat guests or people inquiring. And then from Memorial Day to just about Labor Day, we're pretty much packed. Same thing happens from Labor Day to Thanksgiving, kind of slow. Offer some specials, repeat guest specials, and try and fill what you can there. Um, there's also a bike week in March and October here in Daytona, so those are big weeks in our area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the holidays, you know, we fill up the holiday weeks, obviously, and then just start the whole routine again. Fantastic. Talk to me a bit about the types of homes you're purchasing and the entry level. Uh, you know, you say high end, but is it high end meaning multi, multi million dollar homes, or do you mean sort of more middle of the market sort of stuff? It's both. So we have, we, we manage condos that are 300,000 up to a million, and we have homes that are probably 500,000 to 2.5 million. Um, they're, they're all located within either direct oceanfront or within a block or two from the beach. Um, just about, I think almost every single property we own is pretty much a hundred yard walk to the beach. hundred yard walk to the beach. Talk to me about the numbers then when you go and look at a property and, uh, you, you, you know, you want to find a cracking deal. How, how do you like to look at it from a, um, you know, people talk about the 1% rule about rental income to purchase price and stuff like that. How do you look at it from a, from a vacation rental owner? Well, I'll give you I'll give you two answers to that because what I do really can't be replicated because remember I'm building it costs. Sure. I have real estate agents at my disposal, so I'm not paying commission if I buy something that's existing and I'm managing it at cost, right? So my my numbers are gonna be skewed compared to Joe Public, who's gonna be looking at it, right? So let, let's talk about it from everyone else's point of view, because that, that obviously makes more sense to the listeners. So basically what I would do is I don't, I don't go by, it's really each person, you know, all these stats and the 1% rule and all that stuff. I don't go by any of that. I go by what, what is important to me. So for a vacation rental, yes, obviously I want to return on investment. Is the property going to cash flow in any market condition? So what I do is I look at it and in 2008, 2009, 2010, if the proper, if the market conditions go back to that, 
is this property still going to cash flow at the price point I got in when I acquired it? Is that still going to make sense? So I don't buy anything at retail unless I know it's going to cash flow at those levels if that market downturn happens again. Number two, I've, I have a huge, I place a huge value in the intangible of using the property. So that's why I like high end. I don't like doing low end fix and flips. It's not my style. I just doesn't get me going. High end vacation rentals. My family can use it. I can use it. Uh, my extended family and friends can use it. And to me, that's valuable. That intangible means something to me. It's not a dollar per se, but it's a value of creating memories and experiences for my family that I, I place a high value on. Interesting. Now, that's that's a, a great two, two market comparison. So you, you essentially want to say that the property should still be out of cash flow even if you, you went to 2008, 2009 conditions. So let's, let's, let's go back into a hypothetical then. If you're at 2008, 2009, I would take it, I would, I would assume that the, um, the, the vacancy was a lot higher because people weren't vacationing. Is, is that correct? No. Oh, wow. No. That's okay. a huge misconception, and I'll tell you why. So we, we live close to Orlando as well. Right. During 2008, you know, during the downturn, Disney World was still packed. Packed. Right. Our vacation rentals did not drop at all. Maybe we had to lower the rates a little bit, but the occupancy didn't change at all because even during the market downturn, how do people want to make themselves feel good about themselves? They go on vacation, right? They still, you know, everyone in corporate America or corporate jobs still looks forward to those two or three weeks of vacation a year. No matter what's happening in the market, they are still going on vacation. They want to make their kids happy. They don't want their kids to know that mommy and daddy might be struggling and the world is struggling. Let's make them happy and take them to see Mickey Mouse or take them to a beach, whatever it is. That's a huge misconception that vacation rentals will go down when the market goes down. In fact, if anything, we saw more activity because people are trying to give themselves a lollipop and make themselves feel better. Got it, got it. So back to your statement of, you know, in any condition, how does that then, what do you mean by any any property condition back, you know, comparing back to 2008, 2009? What was affecting you that you have to be cautious when you're buying a vacation rental today um, to understand the sort of apples to apples comparison? Looking back well, you well, the values are going to go down. So if you're into it for appreciation or for refinancing during that market, it's going to be tough to do that. Right. So I make sure that when I get in, I take care of that up front, um, whether I'm paying cash for it or I'm using other people's money and refinancing it and taking my cash out or appreciation. I'm not in this for appreciation. I'm holding the properties that I personally own. So I could care less what the market does personally. I mean, I don't like when the market's down because I don't like that feeling in the country, mm -hmm. but it's also, it's also an opportunity to pounce, right? So <laughs> that's, that's another conversation. But as far as vacation rentals, if you're into it for appreciation, that's a bonus. Just like I think net worth, equity, that's a mirage depending on the market. It's only worth that on the day you're selling it. Got it. So that's the only time that's real money. Otherwise, it's monopoly money. So I'm worried about cash flow. Mm -hmm. And I just worry about cash flow in any market condition. Okay, so talk, walk us through some of the numbers on a monthly basis, like of, of your average, say, $500,000 a year property. It's maybe a couple of blocks from the beach. I assume it's a, two, a three bed, two bath. Um, so are you, are, you, are, you, are you analyzing it on a per night basis or a per week basis? And if so, what sort of the vacancy rates that you assume um, to then amortize that over, over 12 months? Once again, no blanket rule, right? No, so right, I, can right. have, I, I can have a three-bedroom, two-bath house on the ocean or one one block off or one two blocks off? Is that home have a pool? Does it have amenities in the house? So it's not just a blanket 
you know, size of the home equals a certain amount of revenue. So what I like to do in my own homes is make sure I build five bedrooms and make sure each bedroom has its own full bath. So they're basically five bedroom suites. I make sure there are multiple living areas. I make sure it has a private pool. To give you an example, I've built two homes for myself in the last year and a half, two years. Um, and I was all in land, pool, furnishings, house for $500,000. We'll, we'll use even numbers here. Mm -hmm. $500,000. Uh, last year, the home made $127,000. Wow. That's incredible. And yeah, and, that, and that's net. That's not even gross. Um, so obviously that return is nice. Once again, I have some benefits to the, when I create a property or acquire <laughs> a property versus other people because of the reasons I stated earlier. There are some homes that are on the back row that don't have a pool, only have three bedrooms with two baths, so people have to share those homes, and they're only going to make forty dollars or $50,000 a year because they're not as desirable, right? So I make sure in my home I put an arcade room, I have games, foosball. There, it, we make it like a little mini resort, a private resort for the people, for our guests. And don't forget, if you have an oceanfront home, now your premiums get jacked up even more. So where my home is second row, I can rent it for five to 7000 a week. Oceanfront, that same exact home, if it's oceanfront, is going to rent for seven to ten thousand a week. Wow! So, wow. so location is important, amenities are important, and comfort and ease of a larger party in a home. You know, having privacy is very important. Sure. You know, if people are sharing baths, it's not very comfortable, <laughs> especially if you're with extended family. You you want some privacy. <laughs> so, uh, th these are little things that are very important to when you're designing a vacation rental home or acquiring one. That's there's great. There's some great numbers there. Um, five to seven thousand uh, a week, which is massive. On uh, a, a, maybe sounds like a second tier home, which is not doesn't have all the bells and whistles. Um, and then something more seven to ten thousand on a, on a beachfront with all the bells and whistles. Is that, is that that sort of rough numbers, right? Yeah, that's correct. And then like the three two that in our community is like a few blocks from the ocean. That's only going to get about twenty five hundred a week because it's not as desirable, and they they might have to walk a little further. And the amenities in the home aren't there. Mm -hmm. is that, so it really depends. Is, is that, that, that 3 2, would that be what a, uh, an existing 1980s construction or 1990s construction? No, the community that we are talking about is Cinnamon Beach. And the name of our company is cinnamonbeachvacations.com. If anyone wants to go look at the type of properties we have, and you'll see the difference in the rates and the difference in the amenities and type of homes. Mm -hmm. These are all new homes. The community is only 12 years old. Got it. So there's a, there's a selection of condominiums, condos right on the beach. And then there's um, 111 home sites in the community as well. It has private amenities. So it's a unique area. Mm -hmm. uh, I understand people can't really replicate this across the country. Right. But if you do your homework and, you know, hunt a little bit, you might be able to find something similar. And that's where you can really maximize your revenue. Nice. And so did you... I take it you didn't create the, 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 that community, but you purchased into it, correct? That's correct. One of my partners was on the um, Centex Destination Properties, actually developed it, and he was the head salesperson mm -hmm. for it. And now we're business partners in a lot of different ventures. So we kind of have an inside track. We know all the owners. We know uh, you know, how everything was set up from day one, and we, we take advantage of that. Sure. Um, just quickly, on a 500000 uh, going into more of your I, I, my background is in structural engineering i always go to that ground up construction those numbers i love when you can become efficient with your with your ecosystems of your businesses so like let's talk a little bit more about that you you just mentioned before that you, you you're all in it sounded like a, a half a mil um on construction on a new property how many square foot how, how big how big is the property uh, square footage wise 3400 under air about 4000 under roof 
So okay, 147. That's that's a very good price per per square foot, right? And that's for high right. end, right? Yes, and remember, this is I'm doing it at a little, you know, more advantageous price point than right. The public. So if the public came in, that same house is going to cost them seven hundred thousand dollars, probably. Right, 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 right. But no, yeah. hey, look, man, you got to you create the systems around your business to create to make to make you profitable, right? So, so, so very, very, very well done. Um, so you talked a little bit about the the amenities of the of 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 the of the area and and the vacancy. Um, how often would say a a seven thousand uh, dollar a month property be uh, be occupied in, in any given year? Is it, is eighty percent? Is it more like a hotel where? What what do you what do you what's the, what's the sort of average? Well, we try to keep weekly rentals. Like I said, during the snowbird months, we'll do monthly rentals, mm-hmm. so we'll get less per week, but it'll be less wear and tear. It's usually an elderly couple that just comes down. And they're just hanging out in one bedroom. So a lot of owners prefer that. They'll prefer to make a few less dollars for less wear and tear. Mm-hmm. So remember each, once again, I, I know you keep asking questions. There's no blanket rules sure, for any sure, of these sure. answers. <laughs> it really depends on the property and where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to, we average probably 30 to 35 weeks of occupancy. And that includes mixing up three and four day stays with weekly stays. Um, so it's different every year. It depends when Easter falls. If Easter falls with the normal spring break in, March, then it's like a super spring break, so they're all combined. If Easter's in April, you get another couple of extra weeks where that's usually a slow time. So each year is different, but I would say on the low end, 25 to 30 weeks. On the high end, 35, maybe high 30s okay. uh, weeks, you know, actual full weeks. Full weeks of the year. Okay, so that's interesting. Yeah. Out of So you're, you're floating around that 60 to 70% range if you just do 52 weeks. That's that's an inch, and that's that, that's an in line with what a, what a hotel would underwrite for in terms of a occupancy over a period of the year. So, very very interesting. Um, talk to me about it. how could you or have you seen any other markets that you like besides the the northeast of Florida um, that you would want to replicate this sort of same, similar sort of model um, across the country. So far, the answer has been no, and I have not. I wouldn't say I put a lot of effort into looking around the country to do this. I like stay, I live here. I like staying in my niche, and I'm going to run the play till somebody stops it. Um, we've we've done we've done so well that I'm just going to hit the gas pedal here. Like I said, I've just acquired five more properties, and we're building over the next year um, from oceanfront through second row. So I am running that play. Nobody right. stopped me yet. Okay, nice. <laughs> and so from a, from an outlook point of view, then once once all the I, I, it sounds like you're you're making hay while the sun shines. Um, what's the sort of long-term strategy for, for a company like this? Is it, is it again to just move more into the property management side or would you look to try and diversify and maybe try and look at other little markets that, that could potentially pick up some uh, few deals in? Yeah, well, basically, I also consult right now. So there are a few um, other property managers that have enlisted my services to kind of help them build their business. I don't really want ownership of it, but I do get a piece of profits for helping them out. I make sure that they are not competing in my market. Um, there'll be a, you know, obviously a disclosure that they're not allowed to go near my market to, to enlist my services. But I do like to help other people try and build. So we have a few around the country that are in the infancy stages of trying to build their company. Remember, vacation rentals are not, you know, everyone thinks Airbnb is vacation rentals. And it is to an extent, but it's not when people rent out their room. This is actually making a business and, you know, either building or acquiring standalone properties or condominiums for strictly vacation rental. So it's kind of a mix. I think it's still in its infancy as far as popularity, 
And I think that you'll see over the next few years, a lot more people will jump on board and it'll also make my company and my properties more attractive. So that, that'll, my exit plan will be, you know, we've had a bunch of offers to buy our company already and we have not accepted them. Um, I've, had, I've had a bunch of offers to buy my properties individually. I've not accepted them. So I'm kind of just riding the cash flow wave until something more exciting comes along. <laughs> <laughs> and and from a risk point of view, um, particularly with some of the recent weather we've been having in Florida and, and in Puerto Rico, does that ever uh, hamper you know occupancy and, and, and business in any way? Yes, um, definitely. The last two years we had Hurricane Matthew and Hurricane Irma here, and that was very rare. We hadn't had a hurricane in 99 years in Northeast Florida, believe it or not, a direct hit. Wow. Um, so that was a little strange for us. There was some damage in the surrounding areas, but luckily none of my properties were damaged. None of the properties we managed were damaged besides a few roof shingles off or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but there were a lot of damaged homes in the coast, obviously in Florida, there was a lot, a lot of damage. So that is a concern. We only, I think I only lost um, one week of rentals for both myself and our company this year and last year. But um, yes, it's a concern. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's definitely a concern, but not a concern where I'm not going to keep it in the gas pedal. <laughs> I, <laughs> if, you, if you're going to live in fear of what may happen, right. yep. what's the point? Right, you know? point. You know, so, yeah. If you got to get hit by a car tomorrow, right? And you, you know, if you're going right. to live like that, there's no point in, in living. Um, I know you mentioned earlier in the show, what's your number one piece of advice for someone wanting to get involved in re uh, vacation rental, just for, for everyone who may not have picked it up earlier? Swing the bat and try and then find, because a lot of people just read about it, read about it, sounds good, sounds good, and never take action. But my number one piece of advice is find a niche where it's a 12-month per year possible revenue stream. This is great, great, great stuff. Look, Len, um, I want to jump into our lightning round. Are uh, you ready to get into it? I am ready, Reed. Let's do it. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? I don't worry about tomorrow. I worry about today and maximize today. You, are you a big uh, list list guy, like, you know, methodically writing down lists? Do you, do you just take it as yeah. it comes? <laughs> I, do not, I do not journal at all. I do not meditate. Okay. I am a, I'm a swing the bat guy. I don't go up to the plate looking for a walk. I want to get a hit. Right. And each day I pick an opportunity that I want to analyze and figure out if that's something I want in my portfolio or not. Love it, man. Love it. Love it. Taking it, taking, taking it by the balls and getting, making life yeah. happen. Good work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's my superpower, making stuff happen. <laughs> making, make, making explicit work, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, who's the most influential person in your career today? My entire career? Yeah. Go on. Go wander all the way back. Wow. Um, I'm going to say a name that he won't even believe I'll say his name probably, but a guy named Bobby Cologne was my first boss on Wall Street. And he taught me about networking. When I used to think golf was a sissy game, and I never played golf because I always played baseball or basketball or whatever, <laughs> some fun sports. And I saw that how much business he was getting from just being a good golfer. Mm -hmm. And he immediately made me at a young age, no, not at a young age, in my 20s, pick up a golf club, take lessons and become really good. And I became pretty good at golf and people wanted to do business with me because I was a good golfer. As silly as that sounds, it allowed me to network. So now I tried to always present myself well. I try to, you know, look decent, play whatever I do hard and decent and, and make others around me better. 
and it makes people attracted to you. They want to do business with you. They want to be around you. Um, they want to be around my family and that's super important. So he, he taught me a small lesson that I kind of expanded upon for my own self. It's interesting. I, I'm a little bit like yourself where I always thought golf's a little bit of a sissy game. I, I'm into surfing and hiking and let's go out and do, you know, like come with me, let's go surfing and let, let's network on, let's have a board meeting in the water, right? Right. Um, but, and I'm terrible at golf, but I, I know that I've got to get better to make my business, you know, grow. And it's just one of those well, things. Well, I'll, I'll tell you why. Remember in golf, you're four to five hours, maybe more, that you have a captive audience. Right. So if you're a good golfer and you can control yourself and your emotions well on a golf course, it's going to really resonate with the client that you're bringing out and vice versa. Right. You have a captive audience for five hours. How often do you have somebody like that? No, you're, I mean, I, I know the benefits. I've just got to go out and get some lessons. <laughs> <laughs> so, mate, uh, what is the most influential tool in your business today? Tool. I don't know if there's actually a tool. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you an example. So, one of my partners, his name is Pete Cook. He's the connector. He's the guy who works the room. He's the guy who brings all the deals to the table. So we have three facets of our business. So I'm going to give you three tools. The connector. That's him. The executor. That's me. I'm the one who makes stuff happen. I'm the one who decides what deals we're going to pursue and what we're not. And then the backbone. The backbone is actually my wife. She runs the books and records. She makes sure everything is in line so that way Pete and myself can go do what we need to do. So connector, executor, backbone. Those are the three tools every small business or venture needs to succeed. And, and essentially, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a successful team, right? Like you have your team yep. around you and you've identified your strengths and weaknesses and you go out and execute on the strengths and weaknesses. I think that's, that's really, really, uh, it's really, really awesome. Uh, mate, what has been the biggest failure in your career to date and what did you learn from that failure? I'm not a big, I'm not a big failure is the best teacher um, guy. I think that's a bunch of BS to teach people, actually yep. teaching people to fail. You know, fail, failure, the word means lack of success. Right. Why would you want to teach people to do that? So I believe that you learn more by succeeding because it keeps a fire lit in you. But I'll give you an example of what you might want to call a failure that I turn into a success. Okay. So back in 2009, we did have a, a home that we built. We built a, a spec home and the market crashed and we could not sell it. And we had a huge note on it and it was under in an LLC and it was getting foreclosed on. But instead, during that foreclosure process, instead of crying – you know, in the fetal position, I said, let me figure out how I can make this a successful scenario or a positive. And instead, I used it as a model home for my custom home building company. And I had clients come in and out. I held parties there. I vacation rented it from time to time. And I got so much business out of using that home while it was being foreclosed on that I made way more money than the amount of money I lost on that house. I created, I figured out how to create income streams from a crappy situation and a crappy market and it allowed that to build my business over the next few years. That's awesome. So uh, you, I take it you eventually did lose the house, but you were able to generate that business and maybe uh, spark some other ideas to help you create that ecosystem, which you're now Absolutely. Into. Yeah, that's, that's, that's That awesome. is correct. That's awesome. And I, and I completely agree with you. It's, it's about yeah, a, a situation that could potentially be a failure that you've turned into a positive. And I think that, you know, looking at the, at the glass half full rather than half empty. And as you said, don't go off crying in a fetal position, uh, <laughs> you know, waiting for someone to come and save you. No, I think that's, that's awesome. Mate, last question is, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? Sure. Uh, my email is linkmasters, L-I-N-K-M-A-S-T-E-R-S, 2015 at gmail.com. 
Um, if they if they have families and young kids and they want to see our family financial freedom video series that I've done with my two entrepreneur daughters, that's success successbeach.com. You can get the first first video for free. And if it's in your wheelhouse, then you can buy the video series. It's only seventy one bucks, pretty cheap. And that's pretty much it. That's awesome, man. Uh, one last question before you, before you go: What is the future hold? Uh, Twenty seventeen, both uh, now and beyond, uh, for both personally and and professionally. Yep. So right now, my family is working towards um, a goal of ours. A bucket list item is we want to have four homes around the world. One's going to be in Italy, and the other three will be in the United States, somewhere around the country. That we live three months per year, and then we rent them out when we're not using them to fund our perfect life. Perfect, love it. And it sounds like you're getting your daughters involved at a young age as well. How old are they that are helping you with your uh, Success Beach uh, venture? Yep, they're 16 and 12, wow. and they've started. They've started their own company. They've been investing for four years. They have a higher net worth than the average 40 year old in the country, and that's not with any of mommy and daddy's money. That's their own money that they've grown. Uh, they make you know a nice little income each year. They do hard money loans, invest in vacation rentals, and they have a nice little. Um, nest egg for the future so it's pretty neat to watch them grow, grow and create income streams that must be pretty uh, you must be pretty proud as a dad yeah literally couldn't be more proud it's it's my number one focus is to make sure they're successful in life yep, yep. and uh it's it's amazing to watch i can see i can see the the, pr- the pride on your face so, so well done mate. <laughs> thank you uh well look i just want to thank you so much for dropping by today uh enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon thank you reed thanks so much for having me on my pleasure Well, there you have it. Another great episode jam-packed with some incredible, awesome investing advice and actionable tips. There were some great takeaway golden nuggets. I think the biggest one for me was the connector, the executor, and the backbone. Also, be looking at markets where you have a 12-month window of of, of rental, not not relying so much on seasons. Um, So if you do have any questions for Len, please jump on my website at readducers.com. Remember to click on the podcast tab. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge because that's what we're all about here on this show, continuing to grow your financial. So until next week, remember, take care, be safe, and remember, the investing.